That's right, Festival is just 20 days away, 20 days until our biggest outreach opportunity of the year. And I want to thank the almost 80 of you that have already signed up to be a part of this incredible event where we get to show and share the love of Jesus to our community in real and practical ways. But with 80 people, that still means there's space for about 40 of you to sign up and be a part of something that you are going to have a blast doing. It's October 13th, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., and I especially need some of you guys to step up. We need some help in the areas of parking and security. And so if you've got a window of a couple hours available on that day where you could help us out with security and parking, we would be extremely grateful. So make sure you stop by uh, the info table before you leave or even right now, pull out your phone, super easy, lifechurchbuffalo.com forward slash festival. Sign up and then look at your email because we're going to send you a correspondence where you can sign up for a training and all that stuff. All right, good. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. To those of you that are new here, welcome. My name is Pete, and I have the absolute joy and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at this growing family of God called Life Church Buffalo. And we are excited to have you joining us today as we are kicking off a brand new series called Get a Grip. And if you're new to church, if you're new to this whole faith thing, what we like to do here at Life Church Buffalo is to kind of take a couple weeks to either look at a person in the Bible or a book of the Bible or a topic that we all kind of, you know, experience in our lives and kind of unpack what God's word has to say about that and see how it applies to our lives. And this series, Get a Grip, we're going to be talking about some things that make us feel like we're kind of losing grip on our lives. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we're going to refocus, slow down, and really try to get a grip on the things that matter most in life. And to start this week, we're going to be talking about something that I think all of us can relate to. And I want to ask a question to begin. How many of you have ever been or are right now overwhelmed? Anybody ever been overwhelmed? Those of you that are not raising your hands, you're liars. We know that liars go to hell, so we will pray for you right now. No, just kidding. That feeling of overwhelm that at some point or another in our lives, we can all probably relate to of more coming at us than we can possibly handle. Maybe you're here today and, and time is what has got you feeling overwhelmed. Just more, you know, not enough time to get everything done. Maybe you're a single parent and, you know, you're just trying to keep up with the juggling demands that are on your schedule of, you know, getting kids off to school, rushing out the door in the morning, getting some kind of food in their bellies before you get them to school and daycare and trying to make it to your job on time where you do two persons work for one person's pay. And then after work, you've got to get one kid off to, you know, dance recital and you've got 15 minutes to make a 20 minute drive to the other side of town to get the other kid to baseball practice. And, you know, all of that, you've got to figure out dinner for your family. It's Burger King again, drive through, coming home. And then it's like just in time to put them to bed. And the projects that you want to get done around the house just never get done because you don't have enough time. And no matter how fast you try to run, the treadmill just keeps keeping up, speeding up, and you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're overwhelmed in your finances, where you dread going to the mailbox every day to find out what new bills are going to be in there that you really don't have money to pay because there's already more month than there is money left, and you're still trying to figure out how to scrounge up the $300 to pay for the car repair that broke down last week, and maybe you're overwhelmed financially. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know. Maybe you're in a situation where as much as, you know, a loving and caring relationship would sound awesome, at this point, you would just settle for some civility. 
God, can we just not argue for one day? One day, that would be amazing. And it's just like, I don't know how much longer I can live in this situation. And you're feeling overwhelmed in your marriage. Maybe it's comparison that gets you feeling overwhelmed. You know, we're going to talk a lot about this next week as we dive into the comparison trap in week two of the series. But, you know, you look at your friend's picture on social media that she just shared of this gluten-free, um, non-dairy, no-dye meal that she made from scratch that looks exactly like the picture that she posted on Pinterest where she found it. And you're here eating Frosted Flakes for the third time this week. And her hair looks like it's straight out of, you know, People Magazine. She's got the body of a fitness exercise, you know, person. And her husband, you know, is like super, Superman. And, and your husband's got a dad bod. And, you know, you're eating a day-old donut. And you can't remember the last time you, you went to the bathroom by yourself because your kids are constantly pulling at you. And, you know, this feeling of comparing your very imperfect life with the seemingly perfect lives of your friends on social media can cause you to wind up feeling overwhelmed. Or maybe you're here as a student this morning and you're jumping into a new school year, middle school, high school, college, and it's new friends, it's new teachers, it's new challenges, new peer pressure, and you're feeling overwhelmed at the start of this new school year. And maybe you came in here this morning and you weren't feeling overwhelmed, but now that you've heard all of these things, you're like, man, I am overwhelmed, thanks a lot. Welcome to Life Church. We're glad you're here. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, we at one point or another all experience that feeling of being overwhelmed. And this is a battle that I constantly face as well, especially when it comes to leading this church into the future that I believe God has for us to reach people in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and constantly feeling overwhelmed and under-equipped to do what he's called us to do. And I want to look today at a scripture that I think will give all of us some hope and some practical instruction for how we respond to that feeling of being overwhelmed. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to look at a story of 10 guys who really, really, I think, understood and knew what it feels like to be overwhelmed. Luke chapter 17, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And it says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, if anybody understood what it was like to feel overwhelmed, it was these 10 guys here who were overwhelmed every single day of their life in every area of their life. First of all, they were overwhelmed physically. They had leprosy, which is an infection that doesn't show symptoms until five to 10 years after you've contracted the disease. And then once it does, your nervous system is attacked and you begin to lose feeling in your extremities. And then those extremities begin to become deformed as they swell in your fingertips and your eyebrows, your nose, your ears, your toes, to the point where then they begin to decompose and die and you've got the smell of rotting flesh and eventually these extremities just fall off and eventually the person dies because there is no cure for a person in this time in history who has leprosy. So they're overwhelmed every single day physically with this disease. They're overwhelmed relationally. They were considered unclean, and so the law required that because there was no cure, they, they were put outside the city. They lived in leper colonies. 
And they were overwhelmed relationally because they couldn't, they couldn't touch the, the face of their wife anymore. They couldn't hug their children anymore. They couldn't be around. Everywhere they went, being unclean, when they did leave the leper colony, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, everywhere they went so that people could clear the way and not get near them and catch this contagious disease. No human interaction at all. They were overwhelmed relationally. They were overwhelmed financially. They couldn't work anymore, and so they had to beg. They were overwhelmed spiritually because they couldn't attend church and worship God with their family and their friends. In every single area of their life, these 10 guys certainly know and knew what it was like to be overwhelmed. Yet with everything going wrong in their lives, there was one thing they had going right for them. And they were in the absolute best place they could possibly be because at this moment, they were in the presence of Jesus. With all that was going on, in this moment, they had one thing going for them. They were in the best place they could possibly be in the presence of Jesus. And so what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? I'm going to give you three things today. Life is all about choices. And when we're overwhelmed, the first choice we have to make is to choose to be in the best place. We've got to choose to be in the best place. Because it's impossible to live wrong when you live right when you're in the wrong place. We need to choose the best place. I'm going to let you in on a little pastor secret here because I talk to a lot of people who wind up calling me, wanting to meet with me because they're overwhelmed in one area of their life. It might be their marriage, might be their job, might be their kids, whatever the circumstance. My pastoral advice that I always give them in almost every circumstance always starts the same way, and it's this. Participate in church regularly. You got to start there. Notice I didn't say go to church, but I said participate in church regularly because going to church is not a passive activity. When we go to church, we go to actively worship God and experience his presence. We participate in church by serving one another. We, we come to church to be in transformational relationships with one another. When we participate in church regularly, God begins to transform us at our core from the inside out. What do we do when we feel overwhelmed? We gotta choose the best place. We participate in church regularly. It's a lifeline, it's a life preserver, a life saver, if you will. Earlier this summer, I took both of my boys to Camp Hickory Hill for a few days of some father-son quality time. We got to do a ton of fun activities and zip lining and things like that. And one of the things we got to do was go fishing and we did some kayaking and canoeing. And I've got a picture of my son Isaac, hopefully coming up here uh, in the canoe with me. He's super excited to be going out, spending some time with his dad. But do you know what's on him right now? What is he wearing? A life vest, right. When do you typically put a life vest on? Before you get in the boat, right? Because if something happens, you want to make sure that you've already got it on so that you float when the boat, if the boat were to overturn. I heard a story this week of somebody who was boating and uh, they hadn't put life vests on even though there were some in the boat and they were trying to put it on after the boat capsized. It's a lot easier to put a life vest on before you get in the boat. And yet as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I hear about people who wait until things are in an emergency situation to be in the best place, to choose the best place. My life is falling apart. I've got to get to church. I need something. You've got to choose the best place. We've got to participate in church regularly. 
Hebrews 10.25, the author of that book says this, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Apparently, this isn't a new issue. This has been going on for 2,000 years, church attendance, being in church, being in the right place. He's saying, don't neglect meeting together like some people are doing. Instead, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We come to church so that we can be encouraged by God's people, where we can be, he can transform us from the inside out. What do we do when we feel overwhelmed? We gotta choose the best place. And here's the good news for you today. If this is your first time in church, you're in the best place. If you're here and you're struggling with something in your life, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're in the best place. If you have been following Jesus for 25 or 30 years and you've never missed a Sunday, you are in the best place you can possibly be today. So you all get a gold star for choosing the best place to be today. These 10 lepers with everything they had going on in their lives had that one thing going for them. They were in the best place. Here's what happens next. Verse 14 says this. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now don't miss that. Don't just skip over that. Go show yourself to the priest. What is he saying? He's saying go to church, right? Go to church. Go show yourself to the priest. Don't ever underestimate what God can do by regularly going to his house. Go show yourself to the priest. And then as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. It's at this point in the story where I'm reading it and I realize really quickly that I'm not Jesus. And I'm sure you were all wondering if that was indeed the case or not. I can <laughs> settle that issue for you really easily. I am not Jesus because this is not how I would have handled this situation. If I were Jesus and I see 10 guys shouting at a distance you know, who have leprosy, Jesus, have mercy on us. I'm like, okay, guys, here we go. I'm gonna turn into my disciples. I'm like, okay, I want you to go into the village, grab as many people as you possibly can. We're gonna have a healing service. I want you to bring them all here. We're gonna circle around this guy. I'm gonna lay my hands on them. They're gonna be instantly healed. It's gonna be immediate. It's gonna be extraordinary. That's how I would have done it. And yet that's not what happened here. That's not what Jesus did. He said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. So what did they do? They walked, right? They literally put one foot in front of another. And as they did, the most extraordinarily, the, the most ordinary thing they could possibly do, they were healed. You see, when I pray for healing in my own life, and I'm sure this is true of you as well, most often we're praying for a miraculous divine intervention. We want something extraordinary. And yet as a pastor, sometimes I do get to see uh, an extraordinary, miraculous healing. But oftentimes, God often chooses to use the ordinary things to bring healing to our lives. And it's just as miraculous. It's just as miraculous. Here's what this may look like for you. You may be feeling overwhelmed in your marriage. God, I don't know if I can do it any longer. And yet, you make a choice that as you go, you're going to put one foot in front of another. I'm gonna get up today and I'm gonna make a choice that I'm gonna serve my wife like Christ serves the church and I'm gonna put her needs before my own. And then I'm gonna get up the next day and I'm gonna do it again regardless of how she responds. I'm gonna to continue to do that again. And I'm gonna get up the next day and do it again. And I'm gonna get up the next day and I'm gonna do it again. And what's gonna happen, eventually you're gonna look back and realize that as you went, 
As you took simple steps of obedience to do what Jesus has called you to do, he's brought healing into your marriage and it was just as miraculous as if he had done it instantaneously. Maybe you're overwhelmed in your finances and what this would look like for you to, as you go. So often we want God to help us win the lottery. God, I'm gonna play the mega millions this week and it would be awesome. I would give so much to the church. God, could you, could you bless me that way? Would you send an unexpected check of a really large sum in the mailbox? That would be awesome. And yet sometimes God simply wants us to go on our way and follow the principles that he's already lined up for us in his word and to take a step. And even though we may not know how we're going to make ends meet, we're going to honor him and give him the tie that belongs to him. And then we're going to take another step and we're going to cut up our credit cards and put a budget in place to live within our means and not spend beyond what we can afford. And then we're going to take another step and attend Financial Peace University and get on the same page with your spouse so that as you go and as you put one foot in front of another, God brings financial freedom into your life. As they went, they were healed. And yet, what's interesting about this story is that to me, the miracle, their healing is not the climax of the story. To me, what happens afterwards is really the climax of the story. It's their response to the miracle. Remember, 10 guys were healed. And in verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting praise to God. 10 guys get healed, but only one returned shouting praise to God. He recognized that his healing had come from God. He shouts praise to God. And then he fell down to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And what does this mean? For those of you that aren't familiar with the biblical history, Jews and Samaritans had a 700-year hate history. Samaritans were like half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-non-Jewish. They didn't get along. And this person was the least likely of the bunch to recognize the work of God in his life. And yet this was the guy that returned to bring praise and give thanks to God. And so when I read this story, I have some questions. And apparently Jesus had the same question too, because in verse 17, Jesus asked, wait, didn't I heal 10 guys? It's my question too, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, except this least likely person of the bunch? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. My question is the same as Jesus. What happened to the other nine? Why did only one man return when they all experienced the same thing? They all had the identical experience. They all had leprosy. They all lived outside of town. They all cried out to Jesus for mercy. They were all healed as they went. They all headed to the priests and were healed as they went. They all had the exact same experience. But only one, one out of 10, returned to Jesus. Why is that? We've experienced this too. Two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different. It's a matter of perspective, right? Two people can look at the exact same scenario and see something completely different, which reminds me of this picture that went viral a year or so ago. Some of you might remember the dress. Is it black and blue or is it gold and white? How many of you look at that picture and see a black and blue dress? Okay. No. How many of you see white and gold? Isn't that crazy? 
Some people see black and blue, other people see gold and white. I was showing this to my wife last night and she's like, well, what color was the dress actually? It is black and blue. Some people, for whatever reason, because of the lighting and the picture, see white and gold. And so it's just nice when I get to be right occasionally. <laughs> Two people can look at the same thing and see something completely different. It's a matter of perspective. And in this case, when the nine looked and saw they were healed, they saw that our cries for mercy have been heard. And yet when the one looked and saw he was healed, he saw that Jesus heard my cry for mercy. The nine saw we've been healed. The one saw Jesus healed me. The nine saw we've been restored to our old life. The one saw that Jesus has given me a new life, which is so much better than my old life. The nine saw that Jesus had given them exactly what they asked for. And the one saw that Jesus has given me so much more than I deserve. How can two people look at the same thing and see something completely different? It's a matter of perspective. And when we choose the best place, it's because where you sit determines what you see. Where you sit determines what you see. And when you sit at the foot of the cross, when you're in the right place, around God's people, in God's presence, when you sit at the foot of the cross, you can't help but see Jesus at work in your circumstances, at work in your life. So what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? We choose the best place, which then helps us choose the best perspective. We gotta choose the best perspective. Where you sit determines what you see. And when we sit at the foot of the cross, we can't help but see Jesus at work in our lives. And I can't think of a better example of this than my friend, Daryl Whitcomb, who some of you know, Daryl is on our worship team. And some of you might be wondering why he hasn't been serving. We haven't seen him on the keys as much recently. And this past year in Daryl's life has been one of the most difficult years that anybody could ever endure. It began a year ago as he felt like God was telling him to leave his job, which led to some financial hardship. It was a very lucrative job. And as he tried to find another job, job to job, it was a lot of pressure on the family. But it culminated in these past couple of months, a little more than two and a half months ago, his father had a heart attack. They didn't know if he was gonna make it through the night. They were able to stabilize him and get a stent put in. I went and prayed for him and the family, another member of our church, went and prayed for him, laid hands on him, anointed with oil, and his C. diff, and I don't know anything about um, medical things, but the C. diff went completely dormant, and it, it appeared as though God was healing him, and they were talking about actually releasing him from the hospital. We're like, awesome, praise God, he's answering prayer. But he also had ulcerative colitis and was bleeding internally and it was exacerbated by the blood thinners that he was on because of the stent that had been put in. And Daryl's prayer the whole time as I'm talking to him through this is, I just want God to either heal him and deliver him so he can come home or to take him home so that he doesn't suffer. I just don't wanna see him suffer. He's been overwhelmed throughout this whole process. And yet a couple of weeks ago on September 6th, Daryl's dad breathed his last and entered his eternal reward. And as I talked to Daryl at the funeral, I was overwhelmed at the perspective that he had as he shared with me, look, Pete, he's like, I'm at peace with what's happened. Yes, I'm grieving and yes, I'm sad, but you know, I was praying that God wouldn't let him suffer and for a while I was questioning, God, why are you letting him suffer for so long? If he's gonna die anyway, why did, why did you let it linger on for two months? 
And I realized that had it happened immediately, my family would have imploded. We wouldn't have been able to process it. We, didn't, we wouldn't have had time to prepare and to spend time together. And through this whole process, my family has actually gotten a whole lot closer. And there are members of my family that are now re-engaging in conversations about faith after they've been very opposed and resistant to the church because of church baggage and, and hurts that they've been carrying around for a long time. And so Daryl's perspective, despite being overwhelmed, is that God is in this. That's Daryl on the left, for those of you that don't know who he is. Those are his three siblings with their mom in the middle, and that's his dad. We need to be praying for their family during the season as they are still going through the grieving process and the loss. They've been overwhelmed, but he has chosen the best perspective. Where you sit determines what you see. And he sent me a text a couple days after the funeral. I want to read this to you. I was blown away by his perspective. He said this, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, in all capital letters, I still dare to hope when I remember this. And then he shared Lamentations 3, 20 to 24 with me, which says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. And he said, powerful. That's choosing the best perspective. When life is overwhelming and you can't make sense of your circumstances, you've got to choose the best perspective. And when you sit at the foot of the cross, you can't help but see Jesus in your circumstances. We need God's perspective on our situations. And God speaks to that in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has a better perspective on what you're going through than you do. We just finished a series where we've been focusing on prayer for the last several weeks. And in this process, my prayer, one of the prayers that I've been praying is this, God, would you, would you give me your eyes so I can see what you see? God, would you give me your ears so I could hear what you hear? God, would you give me your words so I could speak what you would speak? God, would you give me your thoughts so I could think like you think? God, would you give me your heart so I can feel what you feel? What am I praying? I'm praying, God, give me your perspective. Give me your perspective. Because having the best perspective may not change your circumstances, but it will change what you see in your circumstances. So we gotta choose the best perspective. What do we do when we feel overwhelmed? We choose the best place, which helps us choose the best perspectives, which then helps us, number three, choose the best priorities. Because when we're overwhelmed, it's easy to lose sight of what our priorities are. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, my priorities are crystal clear to me. I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My relationship with Jesus comes first and foremost before anything else in my life. And then after that, it's my commitment to love and serve my wife like Christ served the church. And then after that, it's to raise my children. And then after that, it's to lead this church into the future that God has for us, to pastor the people that God has brought to us, to lead our staff. And yet when I'm overwhelmed, and often the area of, of overwhelm that I experience the most is in that last category. And when we're overwhelmed, isn't it interesting how our priorities get out of whack? And when I'm overwhelmed at work with the church, 
I wind up putting that as a greater importance than my family. And I hear the same thing from people all the time when they come and talk to me. I hear similar things. Man, if I wasn't so busy, if there wasn't so much going on in my life, I would, I would make it a priority to be in church more often. You know, if I, if I didn't have so much going on, if I wasn't burning the candle at both ends, you know, I would, I would choose to start my day in, in prayer and in God's word. You know, if I only had more money, you know, and once I pay off this debt, then, then I'll maybe take a step and, and start giving to, back to God through the church. If, maybe, all of this stuff. And as your pastor, can I suggest to you today that we don't have an opportunity problem. We don't have a time problem. We don't have a money problem. We have a priority problem. We have a priority problem. We have time for what we choose to have time for. At the end of the day, all of us make time for the things that matter most in our lives. And Jesus spoke to this thing in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be overwhelmed with life. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? In verse 33, then he says, seek what? Seek first. It's an issue of priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. All these things will be taken care of. Jesus is saying the key to not being overwhelmed with life is to seek him first. When you're overwhelmed in your marriage, seek Jesus first. When you're overwhelmed with your kids, seek Jesus first. When you're overwhelmed in your finances, seek Jesus first. When you're overwhelmed at school, seek Jesus first. When you're overwhelmed with life, seek Jesus first. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What's he saying? Come to me, all you who are overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're overwhelmed with life, seek Jesus first. What does it look like to seek Jesus first? What does it look like to choose the best priorities? I'm gonna give you four quick things as we close. Number one, I'm gonna start my week in church. We've already talked about this. We choose the best place. We participate in church regularly and we don't go to church to earn God's love, guys. We go to church because he's already won our love. So I'm gonna start my week in church and choose the best place. Number two, I'm gonna start my day in God's word because the more I spend time with Jesus, the more I become like him. And the more I become like him, the more I have his perspective. I'm gonna start my week in church. I'm gonna start my day in God's word and in prayer. Number three, I'm gonna start my prayers with thanksgiving, with thankfulness. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything. What's he saying? Don't be overwhelmed. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Christians love to quote this verse, the peace of God will, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace that passes understanding. But there is a key to it. Thanksgiving is the key that unlocks the peace that dispels our overwhelm. As you're praying about the things and asking God to help you with the things that are stressing you out and causing you to feel overwhelmed, present those requests with thanksgiving and then the peace comes. 
Start your prayers with thanksgiving. God, thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, thank you that you've promised to never give up on me, that you will never leave me, that you will never forsake me. Thank you for promising me that you who started a work in me will be faithful to complete that work. Start your prayers with thanksgiving. Number four, start your pay period with the tithe. And some of you, for those of you that aren't, you know, Christ followers, this doesn't even apply to you. But for those of you that have been following Jesus and have always struggled with taking this step because you're really strapped financially and you don't think how, you don't know how you're going to make it. What I've learned in my own life where this hasn't always been a priority of mine is I've learned that 90% with God's blessings is way better than 100% without God's blessings. And I promise you that if you will test him in this and trust him and take a step of faith and walk in obedience to him, that as you go, you will experience his blessings in your life. Start your pay period with the time. I need to choose the best priorities. I'm gonna put him first, no matter what's happening in my life. You know, I began this message by asking you all a question, how many of you are overwhelmed or how many of you have been overwhelmed? And my prayer through this message is that you wouldn't, it wouldn't keep you from being overwhelmed, but instead my prayer is that it would actually help you be over, more overwhelmed with the right things. More overwhelmed with the right things. Not like the nine, but like the one. Not by the things of this world, but by the goodness of God. Just like the, the one who was overwhelmed and came back to give thanks and praise to God. And when I choose the best place and when I choose the best perspectives and when I choose the best priorities, then I become overwhelmed by God's goodness in my life, by his grace in my life, by his mercies that are new every morning, by his power, by his presence. I'm overwhelmed by all the right things and I start to get his perspective and I see, God, you're doing something. You are making yourself known to me, to the people in my life. God, would you be glorified? And so my hope is that today you would learn how to transition from being overwhelmed by the circumstances that you're in to being overwhelmed by the goodness and the majesty and the bigness of our God. Would you bow your heads and play with me this morning? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning as a people who, Lord, get overwhelmed at times. We live in a fallen world. We experience things that we can't understand. And I thank you that this exchange that you had with these 10 leopards was recorded for us to read even 2,000 years after it happened to understand, God, that, there, that you don't always answer in the extraordinary, miraculous ways, but sometimes you choose to use the ordinary things in our lives to bring about miraculous change and results. So this morning, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask, is there anybody here today who's feeling overwhelmed by something in your life? I just want to pray for you. As a church family and body, I just want us to pray for one another. If you see the hand of someone raised uh, next to you, would you just kind of put your hand on their shoulder? We're just going to be a big family. We're going to lift each other up in prayer. We're going to pray for one another. God, right now, all of these hands that are raised, all of these situations where people are feeling overwhelmed, God, you know the situation. Some of them are relational. Some of them are financial. Some of them might be spiritual. I don't know what's happening in their lives, God, but you do. And I pray right now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help them to choose the best place, 
Lord, because where they sit will determine what they see, and I want them to see you at work in their situations. I want them to sit right in front of the cross to recognize the completed work of what you accomplished for us, Jesus. And then, Lord, would you give us the ability to choose the best perspective and choose the best priority. Some of us right now, you're speaking to us, God, about changes we need to make to reprioritize our life around your priorities, to seek first you and your kingdom. Give us the courage, God. Give us the faith to walk in obedience to you. And maybe you're here this morning, you're the invited guest of somebody, or you're new to the area. Maybe you're not sure about this whole faith thing. You've been on the fence, not sure about the whole raising from the dead thing, but this morning you have felt something inside. And the truth of the matter is, we've all been like these 10 lepers. We've all been separated from God, not because of a physical disease, but because of a spiritual condition called sin. Sin that separates us from God. And this morning, maybe you have the realization by the Holy Spirit that God sent Jesus into the world to pay the price for that otherwise incurable sin. He came to bring healing and wholeness so that we could be restored to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if that's you here this morning with all heads bowed and eyes closed and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to invite him in and receive his gift of forgiveness today, would you raise your hand in this place? Is there anybody here that wants to say yes to Jesus and come into the family of God? I see that hand in the back. Anybody else that wants to come home to Jesus? I don't want anybody in church praying alone. So church, would you join me in praying this prayer as we welcome those coming into God's family today. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin and then be raised again to new life, which gives me the hope of new life. God, would you forgive me of my sin? I give you my life. Would you fill me with your spirit and give me the strength and the power to turn away from my old life and follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I love you. Wash me, make me clean. Welcome me into your family. And all God's people said, amen. Can we put our hands together and worship to thank God for new life happening here today? I love it.